of the heart the mouth speaks and because we have many forms of speech now you got to think an email is permanent you think about a Facebook status or the way you comment on an article or someone else's Facebook status or what you put on Twitter or wherever like these things stay there not only do you say them, but now they have legs after the fact which should really make us think do I really need to say this is this the right medium to say this Words can be soothing and they can be harsh. Words can uplift or break down someone's spirit. The words you say are your choice, but they all make an impact. As we'll hear today from Pastor Daniel, God cares about what we say and whether or not we follow through with our words. Before we say anything, we should be asking the Lord to hear from Him, to listen and obey. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, verse 1, with his continuing study entitled, The Issue of Power. One of the joys of being a parent is I get to explain things to my almost nine-year-old son, Obadiah. He's, he's a joy. He's a blast to talk to, and he's often has very deep insights into what's going on. And we were talking just recently as we were discussing being a big brother, and I was explaining to him, I said, Obadiah, listen, character is not something that shows up one day. It's built in a number of small decisions. Over time, over time, enough right, proper decisions, you end up with character who you are. And this reality came to me. I was reading the book of Genesis, and I was reading it from the perspective of some of the Jewish rabbis. And in the Jewish culture, the way they would talk about their birthday, when they, when people wouldn't say, what's your birthday? They would say, the days of the years of my life are this. So instead of us saying, well, hey, I'm 38 years old, and hey, I'm 18 years old, or hey, I'm 19 years old, or hey, I'm 60 years old. They would say, the days of the years of my life are, in my case, 38 years. And the rabbis made the point that in our lives, every single day, one day lived well, the next day lived well, the next day lived well. You string all those together, and that makes a life. And what it teaches us, of course, is that life is in the little things. It's the little things in life Little by little, day by day, piece by piece, that makes a life. Life is in the little things. And as we've been doing this series on the book of Ecclesiastes, that you only live once. So make it count that our days lived under the sun have purpose. They have meaning. They're necessary. As we do that, we have to remember that life isn't in the big decisions as much as it's in the little things. We continue what has been a lot of fun, this study through the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, if you're new to the Bible, if you're on your computer, you can just pull it on up, just type in Ecclesiastes 5. It'll pop up on a number of different search engines. But if you have your own Bible there, if you're 
wanting to find it, we want you to get into the Old Testament. The single largest book in the Old Testament is the book of Psalms. It's got 150 song lyrics there. So there's the book of Psalms, then the book of Proverbs, and then the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And what we're going to find now is we're going to find that in regards to the little things of life, the writer or the preacher of Ecclesiastes is going to focus on two things particularly. First, how we speak. And secondly, how we steward or administer our finances. Now, think about that for a second. That in the totality of your life, God actually cares about the things that we say and the ways that we choose to spend whatever resources we've been entrusted to. That's the focus of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And it's interesting because these two areas, the things that we say and the ways that we choose to spend our money is about as basic to life as any of us. No matter what culture we're in, no matter what society we live in, everybody has resources to administer whether a lot or maybe seemingly a little, and people interact with each other using words, if that's their, you know, that's the normal way people communicate with one another. And so one of the things I love about the book of Ecclesiastes is it does hit us right at street level, each one of us. Because each one of us has resources to steward, and each one of us have words that we can use. So in the little things, what we say, how we spend our money, what we do, God has a heart and a plan for us. So let's jump right on in. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, picking up in verse 1, it says this, Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth and let your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven. And you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there is also vanity, but fear God. Now, I want you to notice this. The very first point of these first seven verses is simply this. What you say is what you say. I mean, that sounds almost ironic. It's like, oh, seriously? Yeah. What you say is what you say. Nobody makes any of us say anything. We choose to express certain things. And what's interesting about this section is that God is very interested in what we say and that we follow through on the things that we say. Now, notice how it begins. Remember at the end of chapter 4 last week, we talked about how isolation breeds folly. We talked about that in the power struggles of this life, people have a tendency to isolate themselves because, you know, I, I'm going to take my things and I'm going to go on my own because you've bothered me. 
Well, now we're encouraged in chapter 5, verse 1, to walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools for they do not know that they do evil. See, God's design for us is to gather together in a covenant community, in the family of God, the people of God. And it's interesting because we live in a day and age in the 21st century here in the West in America where people have a tendency to say, yeah, I'm into Jesus, but I don't like church. And that would be like the equivalent if you say, you know, Daniel, I like you, but I don't like your wife, Lynn. Can we spend time together? Can you imagine that? Hey, you know, we like you, but your wife, no, 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 don't want her. She's got some issues. Do you think that would help our relationship? No way, right? No way. See, the church is the bride of Jesus. And listen, the church isn't perfect. But one of the things that you know about any good husband is you don't say anything sideways about his wife. And so God's design is for us to be part of a covenant community, a group of people who gather together in the name of God to learn and grow. And listen, that community is not perfect. I always tell people, I'm like, listen, if you're looking for a perfect church and you think you found it here at Crossroads, don't join it because you'll mess it up. Seriously, you can't find a perfect church because there's only forgiven people in church. The only perfect person in church is Jesus. But the expectation here is that we should go to the house of God. But notice, you should draw near to here rather than to give. Now, it's interesting that God's design for us is to hear from the Lord when we go to the house of God. So we, like a young Samuel, should be saying, Lord, I'm your servant. I have ears. I'm listening. I want to hear from your heart as we worship, as we fellowship, as we pray, as we study the word. We should be saying, Lord, tune my ears in to hear from you. But notice, he's concerned, not that we don't give sacrifices, but we don't give the sacrifices of fools. So think about that. We're supposed to be going to hear, and we have to make sure that our offering that we give is not foolishness. And so, of course, it jumps right in to explain to us what this foolishness is. Look at what it says in verse 2. Do not be rash with your mouth, And let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes through much activity and a fool's voice is known by his many words. So the idea is this. We need to be careful. You and I, we need to be careful with what we say. And mostly, we have to be careful not to speak rashly, which means speak without thinking immediately saying something, how many of us, and I'm really good at this, is when you don't know what to say, you just start talking, right? Rather than being silent, you just start running. You're just like, you know? And then before you know it, you've said all these things and you're like, I can't believe I just said that. See, we don't want to speak rashly. We don't want to speak unthinking without thinking the implications of what we say. Not only that, it says, God is in heaven and you are on earth Therefore, let your words be few. It's saying that God is is the Lord. He is sovereign. He reigns supreme and we are earthbound. Therefore, when it comes to our conversation with God, we should let our words be few. There's that old proverb that we have two ears and one mouth. Therefore, we should what? Listen twice as much as 
we speak. Listen to Proverbs chapter 10, verses 19 to 21, speaking on the exact same subject. It says, in a multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of wisdom. See, we have to be careful that we don't talk and talk and talk. And, you know, when I read a verse like this, for those of you who know me personally, I'm a talker. I like to talk. I like talking and talk and talk and talk. And when I read verses like this, it caused me to take pause for a moment. Because even though maybe I'm a talker and I got stuff to say, I have to remember that deep down I should let my words be few. Our words, although being few, should have much weight and truthfulness to it. So we have to be careful with how we speak. Listen, just even talking about this, if you've hurt somebody with your words, because you guys know words are creative, words can hurt or they can build up, they can edify or they can destroy. If you've hurt someone with your words in the last couple days, couple weeks, we really need to make sure we go and say, hey, listen, I'm sorry if my words were hurtful. Words are creative. And we have to be careful because sometimes as we talk, we hurt people and we get so used to hurting people with our words, we don't even take much notice of it. We need to let our words be few. We need to choose our words. That's why it says that the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. That means it's good silver. It means that when you think of choice silver, it's not just any old silver, but it's the best of the best. And our words should be similar. We should, with our words, should be able to bless, feed many, it says in Proverbs chapter 10. So because God is in heaven and we are in our relationship with God, we want to hear God's voice more than we hear our own voice. We want to say, God, I want you to speak to me. One of the things that I've found as a pastor is that it's not that prayer is lacking, but it's dialogical prayer. It's God speaking and us speaking. In most churches, there's a lot of us speaking to God. And in a lot of our lives, it's us speaking to God when really we want that dialogical relation. It's a dialogue. God is speaking and we are receiving. And we are saying, oh, Lord, I'm hearing what you're saying. And what about this, Lord? And what about that? And then God is speaking because God is relational. That's the Christian message. God is not far off. He's not distant. He's here. So much here that he became a man in his son, Jesus Christ, and walked among us, taking on all of the limitations of humanity while still being God. And so God wants a dialogical relationship with us. Now notice what it says in verse 4. It says, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Now, you got to think, the writer to the Ecclesiastes, that was a very religious culture. This is many, many years now into the entire Levitical system, the Mosaic system. And so in a very religious culture, it's very easy, if you're a talker, to start making all these great plans and vows. God, if you do this, I'm going to do this. And if you do this, I'm going to do this. And Lord, if you get me out of this, then I'm going to devote my life to you. And what's interesting is, even though we don't live in a religious culture, our culture today is kind of the same way, isn't it? It's very easy when we need God to say, God, if you do this, then 
I'm going to take care of everything. There's a story of a guy who was, who, who had cattle and the cattle was having twins. And he said, Lord, if my cow makes it through this, then I'm going to give you one of the calves. And sure enough, one of the calves was born. The other calf died. And he said, Oh, the Lord's died. And it's very easy for us to be that way with the Lord, isn't it? It's very easy to be like, Lord, if you just give me this job, everything I'm making more than I'm making right now, I'm going to give to you. And then you get that job. And you're like, Oh, yeah, sorry, Lord. And that's why Jesus said we shouldn't make vows at all. We should let our yes be what? Yes. And our no be no. Why? Because anything more is from the evil one. We shouldn't have to make vows. We shouldn't have to say, oh, if we do this, I promise I'm going to do this. Our word should be our bond. That's integrity for us. So it's interesting because the writer of Ecclesiastes tells us when you make a vow, do it. He finds no pleasures in fools who say they're going to do things and don't do it. And then he says, better not to vow than to vow and not pay. That's why Jesus said, look, you don't have to make vows. Just do what, you, what you're intending to do. Now in verse 6, do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin. Nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there is also vanity. But fear God. So it dovetails again for us to remind us that we should not let our mouths cause ourselves to sin. This reminds me, and and if you want in your own time, go read James chapter 3. James chapter 3. James the just, the brother of Jesus, who reminds the people of God that, listen, you have to be careful with what you say, that the tongue, although a small member, it's like a rudder, and it can set the whole world on fire. Our our tongues, the things that we say, what we say, it has such an impact on people. I have found in talking to people about Jesus that most people think a lot about Jesus, but they've been hurt by people within the church. People have said things, expressed things. People have not been kind or gracious with their words. And a lot of times evangelism begins with us trying to build a bridge that somebody went scorched earth on them. We have to be so careful with the things that we say. And not only the things we say, now we live in a day and age where we have multiple forms of speech. Not only verbal speech, but we can text in, we can email things. And we have to think to ourselves, is what I'm saying, is it necessary? Is it kind? Is it truthful? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Or am I just passing along my garbage to people? See, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And because we have many forms of speech, now you got to think, an email is permanent. You think about a Facebook status or the way you comment on an article or someone else's Facebook status or what you put on Twitter or wherever. Like, these things stay there. Not only do you say them, but now they have legs after the fact, which should really make us think, do I really need to say this? Is this the right medium to say this? Is this the best way to do it? Because oftentimes our mouth, as a window into our heart, gets us in all sorts of trouble. For in a multitude of dreams and many words, it says in verse 7, there is also vanity, but fear God. Now notice that. It ends with this idea that we need to fear God. Why? Because fearing God is the cure for 
irreverent or language and speech that does not build people up. See, as we love God and as we fear who He is because of His because of His authority and because of our relationship with Him, now all of a sudden that starts to curb the things that we say. Because God's love and God's covenant with us, His grace with us, now hems in us from saying all sorts of things. I always think it's a good sign when someone says, yeah, I almost said this, this, and this, but I didn't. They have a tendency to debrief it with you afterwards. Or, yeah, I was going to post this thing online. I stopped myself. That's a sign of growth in Christ. Because you're saying, I don't want to put that into the world. I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be that way. So listen, what you say is what you say. And we need to be careful because in the little things that make a great life, what we say has a lot of weight. Now, in verse 8, look at what happens. It says this, If you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice and righteousness in a province, do not marvel at the matter, for high official watches over high official, and higher official are over them. Moreover, the profit of the land is for all, even the king is served from the field. Verse 10, He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. When goods increase... They increase who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. Now, you'll notice in verse 8, it begins that if you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice and righteousness in a province, don't marvel at the matter. So, As you look under the sun, you're going to look around and you're going to see all sorts of things that just don't look right. Oppression, especially of people on who are vulnerable, like people who are poor. Violent perversions of justice and righteousness. See, he's saying that if you look around under the sun, there's all sorts of things to see. And there's a reason why, because there's a higher official over a higher official. And there's a higher official still. See, he's saying that under the sun, there will always be oppressive bureaucracy. That's going to happen. Remember, Jesus said, the poor you'll always have with you, but me, I won't always be there when the woman lavished generosity on Jesus with the anointing oil for his burial. Now, listen, just because that there will always be oppressive bureaucracy in the world does not mean that we should be ambivalent to it. Actually, quite the contrary. God's kingdom breaking into the world beginning with Jesus, through his church, until Jesus comes back, our job is to be a vehicle to restore God's peace back into the world. And as Christian people, as people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, who love God, we should be saying, I want to work for justice. I'm working against oppression. Why? Because when Jesus came, he came to bring the world back to God's intention. Thus, by bringing us back into relationship with God and back to relationship with ourselves and each other. And so God's people should always be working for issues of justice against oppression. Jesus is real. I want to thank you so much for listening to Jesus at Israel Radio. It's exciting to me that you would take the time to listen to this. It is my distinct hope that each one of us would simply respond to Jesus. That's a big idea. 
for me, for Crossroads Community Church, and for Jesus' Real Radio, that each one of us would meet with Jesus, what I like to say, at street level, because Jesus is right where you are. He is right there in the middle of your situation and in the middle of your circumstances. Jesus is right there, and Jesus wants each one of us to learn how to simply respond to him. What that means is that at every moment, Jesus prompts us and we take that step. And it's my hope for you as you're listening to this program that you would find yourself each day simply responding to Jesus more and more. You'll become more loving, more kind, more gracious, more generous, not just financially, but in every single area of your life. You'd find yourself desiring to serve others and not just hoping that everyone is there to serve you. When we simply respond to Jesus, we become closer and closer and closer to who God created us to be. And so we say that Jesus is real and he is and he exists right where you are and he is inviting you to partner with him in recreating the world. So Jesus wants to change the world and he is looking for available people, people like you and like me. So please, as you listen, simply respond to Jesus and engage yourself in the work of God's kingdom in your community and in your world. God bless you so much.